Uh, Heavenly Father, as we uh, come before you and hear your word, as it's been read and as I'm about to preach, uh, Father, please open our eyes to the majesty and power and uh, care of our Lord Jesus. And uh, it's in his name we pray. Amen. Um, Well, at the age of 17, Joni Erickson Tata took a dive into the shallows of Chesapeake Bay um, and it changed the course of her life. She became a quadriplegic. Um, After becoming a quadriplegic, she desperately, desperately prayed for healing. She attended local healing services and even visited uh, healing crusades, Um, but she was not healed. And she would ask herself, well, what do I have to do? Do I not have enough faith? And throughout her 50 plus years of being in a wheelchair, people continued to pepper her and ask her and question her about her faith being enough. Um, Joni even remembers fuming after the third healing crusade. What kind of saviour, what kind of rescuer or healer would refuse the prayer of a paralytic, especially a paralytic who claims Christ as her saviour. Today, as we look at this, um, pick up the story of uh, Matthew's Gospel in chapter 8, we're going to encounter a a number of healings which Jesus accomplished successfully. And maybe for some of us um, who are suffering disability or illness or our loved ones, maybe they have cancer or dementia, and we've prayed and asked for healing, and yet it seems like God hasn't responded. We ask the question, well, why doesn't Jesus heal, heal me? Or why doesn't he heal my loved one? And we're going to consider this question of healing and, and also the question of Jesus. If Jesus is cracked up to, to be all he says he is, what kind of saviour is he and what kind of rescuer is he? And then maybe we'll also drill down and maybe consider those questions you may be having of yourself. You know, what is it about these people that makes them get healed? And what about me? Is it, is it really about having more faith? And so today I want to hope that we come away from today clarifying again Jesus, but also clarifying what it actually means to have faith. And hopefully we'll get there towards the end. But before we look at chapter 8, it's worthwhile to consider the context. Immediately before is the classic teaching of Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount. And I want us to draw attention to one particular word in the last two sentences or verses of uh, chapter 7. Let me read it. See if you can work out the key word that will flow into chapter 8. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. I wonder if you have a guess, what you'd guess. It's the word authority. Jesus has just shown he's got this incredible authority in teaching. And as we move into chapter 8, we want to, we're wondering, will he have authority in practice? It's one thing to teach, it's another thing to put in practice. So, we're going to look at, today, uh, Jesus' authority, particularly in healing. And the theme of authority will carry on. 
in these chapters. But let's delve into it. Now, if you've got an outline, you'll notice there's no points there. So you're going to have to listen very carefully and then you write down the notes in terms of the points. The first thing I want us to see is in terms of Jesus' authority, that Jesus uh, uses his authority, he uses his power to heal an outcast, to heal a marginalised person. Um, the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he just doesn't use his power for his own sake, uh, but he uses his power for the weak and vulnerable. And here he's restoring someone who has been socially isolated. I don't know if you've ever been socially isolated, uh, maybe you know, had difficulty making friends at school, or uh, maybe something happened with a friend that kind of you had to part ways. Well, for this guy, uh, there was no chance um, to be included. His leprosy was a barrier for um, um, being belonging and being loved. And so the leprosy um, in, in this time covers a whole range of highly contagious skin diseases. Um, so, that's, um, it's, uh, so that's kind of a general leprosy. And so this man obviously had a highly contagious skin disease. And so um, I love how you go from verse 1 to verse 2. Verse 1 talks about Jesus coming down from the mountainside, large crowds following him. But then you kind of just forget about the crowds in verse 2. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. I want you to note the posture. Um, he's kneeling before Jesus. And what does that mean? Well, it shows that he recognises the authority. You don't kneel before someone unless you see them with power. And it's not just his posture, it's what he says, Lord, and right off there, he's showing that he recognises Jesus' lordship, his authority and power and position. And then, because of that, he humbly asks, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Oh, man. And I think verse 3 is so beautiful that if you've got a cold, dark heart... It would just crush, no, not crush it, melt it away, make you warm and love, just flowing out. It's so beautiful. Verse 3, have a look. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. The reason why this is such a, it just warms my heart, is just if you've got highly contagious skin diseases, and put up your hand if you do. Just kidding, that's a, that a terrible joke. Of course you don't. You, who would want to touch someone with a highly contagious skin disease? I mean, COVID just, you know, if someone's got COVID, you're going to go near them? No, you are going to stay away from them. And so this is so beautiful that someone who has not been um, embraced, hugged, even a high five, Jesus reaches out and puts his hand on this man. And if this verse doesn't increase your love for Jesus, at least let it increase your respect for him. But more than that, um, we see Jesus reaching out, touching him, but cleansing him, healing him. Now, um, if you were here last week, uh, I mentioned ducks and um, I've got another duck illustration. I'm so sorry. I, I'm really sorry. I'm not very creative. Anyway, just this morning we had a duckling hatch. And uh, when the little duckling comes out of the egg, 
They are goopy and they look terrible. Um, they're weak and gross, I think, maybe to quote some of my kids. And so we take it out of the incubator and then let it join its three other siblings, older siblings, over about a week or two. And what's maybe scary at first, but the other kind of three look like they're attacking this egg, uh, sorry, <laughs> this duckling. But then you realise that they're starting to preen by tidying up and cleaning and then they go from looking gross to fluffy and they could be on a television ad. Amazing. And it's incredible as well how much the fact that they are included, the three older ducks will then sit and use their bodies and warm up the other one. It's beautiful. They're such social creatures. Um, All right. Last ever duck illustration of my career uh, until probably next time I preach. But anyway, um, if you look at it from the leper's perspective, no one wants him. He's unclean in, in everybody's eyes. But then Jesus draws near to him and he reaches out to him. But he doesn't just reach out to him. This is not just anybody. This is God's king, the Messiah. This is Jesus, the king of the world, who cares deeply for the unclean outcast. And even more spectacularly, he heals him. But the point of the healing isn't just to tick a box and say, yeah, I'm the Messiah. It's so that he, if you look at verse 4, that he will when he does what he, Jesus asks him, he can rejoin society. See, Jesus' healing here is to restore the marginalised, to restore the outcast. And I think it's beautiful. Um, Jesus coming down from the mountain, large crowds are following him. Um, if it was anyone else, the popularity would get to your head. But what does he do? Instead of being Mr. Popular, he, he reaches out to the, most, the least popular person ever and loves him and heals him. I think it's beautiful. Well, how do we think of this in light of us? Well, we need to see, firstly, that Jesus has authority and the authority to heal. And we ought to recognise as followers of Jesus that he has the right and the power to use his ability to heal. And of course the good news is that he chooses to use his power to heal even the lowest of peoples. And again, that speaks to us, doesn't it? If you feel out of place here at St Michael's, on the edge, marginalised and outcast, remember this, Jesus has welcomed you into his family and you definitely belong. You may not feel like you belong, but you definitely belong. Jesus has made a place for you in his family. And therefore, as Christians, we ought to have a a, a view and an eye for those who are marginalised and outcast. Because our Lord and Saviour, being the most powerful person, yet still brought himself and put himself out for the lowest. But I want also just to remind you, if you've been a follower of Jesus, sometimes you know you kind of ebb and flow in terms of how you approach Jesus and there's different ways to approach Jesus. We consider him our brother, we consider him our friend, but in this case we need to be reminded that we are to bend the knee to Jesus. We're to humble ourselves out of respect for Jesus and earnestly come to him with humble faith. So, Maybe reflect on your posture. How do you treat Jesus? Do you take him for granted? Or do you humbly come to him, recognising his authority? Well, 
Um, maybe you're here and you don't know much about Jesus. Um, and it'd be good if you could do a simple Christianity course. It'd be terrific if, if you could have a crack at that. Now let's turn from one healing to the next. We go from healing an uh, outcast to healing a powerful, uh, well, not the powerful man himself, but a man with power. And so we go from one sort of extreme to the next. Jesus uses his authority to heal, not just for the outcast, but for the, even for the powerful. Now this powerful man probably isn't what, what a Jewish reader would have expected as you read the scriptures because he is a Roman, he's a Gentile, a non-Jew. And he's a centurion, a, an important Roman military figure. And we know from what he says to Jesus that he has servants and soldiers under his authority and he just needs to order them and they do it. But despite this man's power, there is something he cannot do and he cannot order his servant to get better. Uh, again, there's something lovely about verse 6. Um, it, it does, it's not obvious straight away. Verse 6, Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. Now, of course, there's nothing lovely about the fact that his servant is paralyzed, but it's lovely that this man has gone to such lengths to care for his servant. The servant's in a bad way, and this powerful man who knows authority, who knows what it is to command, knows that he can't do anything about it. So he turns to Jesus. And you see that they both, the, lep, lep, the man with leprosy and the centurion, have um, the same thing in common in saying, Lord. And, and they have the same humility as well. But lo, do you love Jesus' line in verse 7? It's like, it, it's just instinctive. He said, Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? No questions asked. He just, isn't it beautiful how Jesus responds? But um, the man sees himself as not worthy. Verse 8, the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Um, there's something incredible. He is not worthy and for us, as we read Matthew's Gospel, we probably think it's possibly because of he's the fact that he's a Gentile. Um, and um, in some sense, the Gospel was first for the Jews, but then it would go out to the Gentiles. And so maybe he considers himself not worthy because, well, uh, how can the Israel's Messiah come and step into the Gentiles' home? But I, I think as well it's to do with his humility and his recognition of Jesus' authority. Do you see how he recognises his authority? He totally understands how powerful Jesus is and how powerless he is. There is nothing he can do for his servant. Uh, last month, um, I decided to move a piece of furniture. It, it's a tall boy. Um, it's, that's a type of furniture. I didn't know that until... Liz told me. It's, it's, just a, it's got drawers, it's pretty tall. And uh, Liz went out and I thought if I could move it um, for her as a surprise, that'd be good. And being the proud guy that I am, I overestimated my strength. So I managed to get up halfway up these stairs. And then I had this, ooh, I'm not going to go any further. And so, and I'm, I don't know what to do, because do I just drop it? and then it'd be more like smash, 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 smash. Or what do I do? And so I had this sinking feeling and I just started to just sweat calmly, as you do, just sweat calmly. It's going, yeah, this is cool. And so I, call, I called out to my, my youngest daughter. She's five. 
No, 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 I didn't call out to her because she would do it. Um, but um, I called out to, to my eldest son who happened to be on the, on the top there and oh, thank goodness we, we picked it up. So, and uh, we were able to put it into place. Uh, um, um, at that stage, I, you know, when you, sometimes you think you, know, you can do something and then you realise how powerless you are. I think sometimes in the world we think, we're pretty powerful. We can do stuff. We've got money. We can make things happen. Um, but there comes a point where you recognise that you simply can't do anything. And that's where the centurion would have felt. He just, I cannot order this servant to get better. I am absolutely powerless. But see how incredibly attuned his faith was to the power of Jesus. He recognises Jesus' power. By simply saying to Jesus, you could just say a word. Oh my goodness. Jesus doesn't need medicine or a place to treat them. He just simply needs an effective, life-changing word. And Jesus' response to this man's faith surprises him. And in fact, I don't think I've ever seen Jesus amazed. But verse 10, he's he's amazed at the centurion's faith. Can't, I don't know if it's like I can't believe this, but he's, in, he's, he's incredibly amazed at this centurion. But it, it's sort of tinged with sadness. Because in, in verse 11, Jesus will predict that in the long term, in the future, all the nations will come and feast with Abraham and Jacob and Isaac on the same table. The, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob are kind of the, the, the big wigs of the Israel faith. And Jesus is saying something totally radical in saying that actually the Gentiles will be sitting at the same table. And so um, Jesus praises the centurion's faith, but in the same words, he brings judgment to Israel who, have, who should have trusted and yet don't accept nor acknowledge Jesus' authority. So before we move on to the final point, I want you to stand in awe of who Jesus is. Um, Be reminded that Jesus is incredibly powerful. Just to say a word and completely bring someone from death to life. I mean, who can do that? No one can do it. Um, When we surround ourselves with our medicine and our technology, maybe we think we can do anything. But don't be fooled, even powerful people uh, need a saviour like Jesus. There is no one more powerful, no one who can simply speak a word and healing happens. And it, I think it it's also invites us to not just marvel, but it makes you want to worship Christ, don't you? To bow down to him, to respect his power and authority. And so there's an invitation for you to do that. Well, the last thing to note about this passage is that, um, did you, do you notice how eager and quick Jesus is to heal? It's beautiful. Take that eagerness and that readiness, and that is the same eagerness and readiness to die. And that's my third and final point. Did you know Jesus' willingness to heal is in some sense leading him to also die? The same readiness to heal is the same readiness to die. Matthew wants to show us that the healing Jesus offers during his life leads naturally into the healing for sin and death which he offers in his suffering. And so Matthew does this by 
kind of summarizing this section by quoting the Old Testament from, let's have a look at verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Now, the quote here is from um, uh, Isaiah, who wrote 700 years before um, what we have here in the Gospel. And as you reflect on this Old Testament quote, it's not just a tick, yep, he fulfills the Old Testament, tick, he heals, tick. Um, It's more than that as we delve into that and as we look at the context of Isaiah 53. So we started reading Isaiah 49 for a reason as our uh, other Bible reading, and that's because these are the songs of the servant. And this servant character in Isaiah um, would be the suffering servant. And the suffering servant would come and heal. That's part of his ministry. But the suffering servant, um, where we get up to like chapter 53, would also put an end to sickness and disease by dying for sins. Now, that kind of maybe doesn't make sense. But actually, they're linked. The healings now are reversing the effects of sin. And what Jesus will do on the cross will completely do away with sin. I reckon it's sort of like when you drive around Wollongong, you'll see apartments going up, and you'll see the scaffolding and the frames going up. And when you see Jesus healing, you'll see the frames and the, the kind of the, what, what things will, will be like. But it doesn't totally fill out the whole picture until you see the apartment block built completely. And that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus Jesus' answer to sickness and disease is ultimately the cross. Sickness and disease were never part of the original plan of creation. But as Jesus heals, he shows us the beginnings of rolling back the effects of sin and showing us what the kingdom of God will be like. And it is at the cross where he'll completely do away with sin. Um, Yes, Uh, We wait for the full effect of this when he returns in the final salvation. But Jesus' substitutionary death for sin in averting God's wrath onto himself and not us, that is the foundation for all sickness to be destroyed. So when you ask the question, why doesn't Jesus heal me? Why doesn't he heal the cancer of my friend or fix the dementia of my parents? Um, Well, first of all, Um, God can heal. Jesus has the authority and he can do it. But maybe he doesn't always heal in the spectacular ways that we think he ought. Um, Maybe that broken leg that was mended, or isn't that God healing it? Or the wound that closes, or the flu that you move on from, or the successful surgery, all of that is to be accredited to God. But the key thing is that there's no guarantee that he'll heal in this age. But in Jesus, he has made sure that the complete and final solution has been achieved in the age to come. And so we remember that Jesus went through suffering in his death, not only to pay for sin's penalty, but to bring the end of sickness and disease. And so if you call yourself a follower of Christ, then, then we all are called to follow the same path of suffering. And when we follow the path of suffering, God's response isn't always to heal, as it wasn't always um, to, to um, come to Jesus' rescue before he died. And so when it comes to faith, 
we are trusting that Jesus has authority, but that sometimes he will exercise his authority the way he deems best. We cannot persuade Jesus to, to have, we can ask Jesus to heal, we can earnestly come to him humbly, but who has the authority? It's not us. We don't have the authority. It's Jesus has the authority and he has the right to exercise his authority the way in which he thinks the world should be. And sometimes the grander plans of this salvation of the world and God's glory will trump our cries for help and our cries for, for God to heal. But I want to say, why not plead? Why not earnestly beg? There is nothing wrong with that. We see that from the, the man with leprosy and we see that from the centurion. But let me be clear about faith. What is faith when it comes to healing? Faith when it comes to healing in terms of Jesus is to humbly accept that Jesus will use his authority to heal in the best way he deems. Jesus will use his authority to heal in the way he deems best. So it's not about having more faith. It's to humbly accept what Jesus will do. Well, to finish... Um, Joni uh, Erickson Tata was invited to be interviewed by a, on TV by a Christian man in ministry. Um, but for the whole interview, she kept being asked if um, uh, the man kept asking Joni to say that the decades of quadriplegia were a result of her lack of faith. And if it wasn't for a, if it wasn't lack of faith, it was that she hadn't prayed enough. Or if it wasn't that she hadn't prayed enough, it was because there was some unconfessed sin. And that's, that's rubbish. Today we've seen that Jesus has the authority to heal. We marvel at his incredible power that he can simply command someone to be completely well. But the, again, the point that I want to ram home, and I'm so sorry if it, if it seems like a broken record, is this. The point of, of Jesus' authority is that it's his authority. It's he has been given it. And he will decide who will be healed and who won't be healed. Now, you might think that sounds harsh, but just remember who he healed. He healed the marginalised. He healed the servant. And he went to the cross in order to deal with it completely. Yes, we cannot force Jesus' hand, but we can trust that he possesses the authority and we can accept that he will use it. When speaking of um, healing... um, Joni Erickson Tart is still in a wheelchair. She's been in a wheelchair for more than 50 years. But she speaks of a deeper healing. She writes this. It's a longish quote, but I think it's, it's a good one. She writes, At the core of Christ's plan is to rescue us from sin. I collapsed in tears when I began to glimpse how heinous my sin was. Physical healing paled in comparison to the unthinkable abuse my transgressions heaped on my Lord. So for the last 50 years in my wheelchair, I've been daily dying to self and rising with Jesus. Dying to self and rising with Jesus. Dying to self and rising with Jesus. My goal is to mortify my fleshly desires so I might find myself in Christ. And God has been answering my prayer exposing dark things in my heart 
things from which I needed to be healed. Amen.